Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. This week is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to continue on with our position preview series on the defense, but we're going to do something a little different. Like I said, we're going to do haves and have-nots of the back end of the Jets defense. I'm your host, Andrew. We have your co-host, Matt and Vitor, here as well. Uh, it's going to be really interesting because some positions on the Jets defense are really set in stone. Others are big question marks. Rather than kind of split them up by position, as we have been, we figured it made more sense to split them up by who is going to be guys that we know are going to be there and who are going to be the guys fighting it out for the roster spots. So we're going to jump right into it, start things off with the most relevant player on the back end of the defense in our has category, and that is free safety, or I guess strong safety, Marcus May. Uh, his de- franchise deadline just passed, did not get a, get a deal done despite multiple, multiple sayings and attempts from Joe Douglas and Robert Sala that they were working to get that done. It was their top priority after the draft and franchise deadline came and went. Marcus May is going to pay play on the tag. And it seems like that this is going to be potentially his last year in New York. I think this is a good place to start off the conversation with Marcus May, guys. I'd love to know what you think about the situation. So let's dive right into it. I mean, May's a great teammate to have. He's he's shown that he can be a top-tier safety in this league. Now, do you guys think that if he had Adam's talent, he would have gotten exactly what he asked for? Yeah. I'm going to still say actually no, because I don't think Joe Douglas values any one player that isn't a lineman on the defense that highly. See, but I think... I think Joe was... was yeah, I think Joe D was going to pay Jamal if Jamal's were asking what Marcus May is asking right now. The thing is, Jamal wanted to be the highest paid safety in the NFL. I feel like if if May had Jamal's talents, I think he I think he's going to get paid. And to what you said, Andrew, I think because Adams played so many different positions along the line as a linebacker, as a safety, as a corner that he, if May had that skill set, he would have gotten paid just because of the value he would bring to the defense. But he doesn't. He is May. He is a guy that could play uh, strong safety. He could play free safety. He can play either of those. He could play the slot. 
Uh, and, but he's not the guy that can produce like Adams could. So he's not worth it. Um, yeah, I can see what you guys are saying and I don't necessarily totally disagree. I just don't think that quite honestly, I think Joe Douglas is the type of negotiator where he's never going to give you exactly what you ask for. And he's always going to try and settle on a deal and have his, his asking price. And especially what you got to remember with Marcus May is talent aside, he's an older player. And this yep. is a guy that you're going to be extending with, you know, age has to be a factor where his talent could have been Jamal Adams level, but Jamal Adams was also, I believe 23 or 24 before he was traded and was asking for an extension. And it's a little bit different when you have an older player like Marcus May um, entering. Now it's going to be, you know, a franchise tag season. So that's why I think it wouldn't be exactly what he was asking for. I think it'd be close. I think he would have gotten paid. I think the jets, if he had that same talent, I think he would have absolutely gotten a deal done. I just don't think it would have been exactly right up to what he's asking for now. And I think the difference with Marcus may specifically in this situation, and quite honestly, I can't blame him. I think another team's going to pay him more than we would. And so if that's going to be the case, then as much as, you know, there's something to wanting to stay with the team that draft you and be here through the culture. And Marcus May has been a team leader the whole time, done everything the right way, 150,000%. It's he's done everything the right way and deserves to get paid for it. And so if another team is going to come calling and say, well, we'll give you 5 million a year more than what you were asking for the jets. See ya. Like that's where I would go. So I think this is a situation for both sides where it was clear that for the best interest of both teams and both parties, that a long-term deal might not have worked out. And for that reason, I'm, you know, back to the original point. Um, I'm not quite sure if he would have gotten the same extension, but let's talk enough about the franchise tag and enough about the business side. Let's talk about Marcus May, the football player, because Marcus May, the football player with the talent that he does have is still a really good football player. Marcus May has, I, I would say exceeded expectations uh, from his draft position and played been arguably the Jets' most consistent member of their secondary since he was drafted. If you were talking about past defense, I would say definitely so. Yeah, he's been extremely re- reliable. I mean, early in his career, he he kind of uh, was labeled a, a, a injury prone player, but he has since come back and put on some strong seasons and healthy seasons. Uh, I love his consistency. I love his temperament. He's the the kind of player that you want on your team. Uh, and it's a shame that it might be his last season. Yeah. May, you know, he's a good football player, like all around football player. He's a good tackler. He, he's a good, good player in zone, good play when, when in man coverage. And the thing with May is that he does whatever the coach is asking for. Okay. Marcus Jamal's gone, play closer to the line. He won't complain. He'll do his job. Go back to free safety. Won't complain. He'll do his job. That's just great for defense like Salah's defense that I believe they will interchange in a lot of Marcus Joyner. May is that kind of guy. But, you know, on the other hand, right now, the Jets also have a guy like Ashton Davis who's very young and possibly can do both things. So I see why the Jets, going back to the contract stuff again, are not going to give May what he wants. But obviously, Andrew, as you said, Marcus May is a damn good football player. And this year, right now, he's one of the most important football players in our defense. If he plays really well, the secondary might, you know, the young guys might play better than we are all expecting right now. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right there with you. Um, having for a young corner, having a smart safety is the best, best friend you could have. 
Uh, having a guy that's going to know his role, know his assignment, know where he is supposed to be your help and give you the guidance to know when you don't have that help. That's huge. And that is the type of presence and let alone on field, uh, you know, with his just physical play, but his mental aspect of the game and his leadership, that's something Marcus May has always brought. That's something he's always had in spades. And he is going to be a really, really important member of this defense. I honestly think he might end up being the most important member of the secondary because what my personal read is, and I'd love to hear what you guys think about this afterwards, but my read from their coaching staff is they want Marcus May to be their matchup player. They want him to be their guy where who's guarding Travis Kelsey or who's guarding. Let's use the Patriots new tight ends. For an example, who's guarding Hunter Henry. That's the guy you want Marcus may to try and have on, or you get into, you know, a situation like the dolphins where they could be running some option stuff with Tua, or they could be running jet motion across the field with Waddle, And there could be a bunch of different things going on. You need that veteran guy in the back end. That's going to know what's coming and know, you know, what's happening and that can be moved into a different role and cover multiple positions at once. That I think is where Marcus may is going to shine his brightest in this defense. And I think it's honestly a really, really good role for him. I think he's going to be great at it. I mean, yeah, you touched on, he knows his role very well, but he also knows everybody else's role very well. And that's going to help out all the younger players tremendously because hey, they they're going to make mistakes. There's no doubt about that. They're going to make a lot of mistakes. So having a guy like me, knowing where they're supposed to be in their roles, can help out a lot more. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I I think that's a good way to end on Marcus May. I think we covered him pretty well. Uh, let's move on to his running mate, and that is going to be Lamarcus Joyner, the newly signed free safety. Now, a lot of people were a little surprised when they signed Lamarcus Joyner and said he was going to be playing free safety because they went, that's what Marcus May does. But I think what we're going to learn from the Jets' safeties is that don't listen or worry so much about the position designation and that role is going to matter more per play on a play-to-play basis than anything else. So, Vitor, you got LaMarcus Joyner, or Matt, you have LaMarcus Joyner, excuse me. Um, I'm going to let you go ahead and take things off, a lead off with him. Go ahead. Absolutely. So, Joyner, uh, he's, he's on the small side for sure. He's only 5'9", but he's super aggressive. You see it when he's in press coverage, when he was uh, in the slot for uh, for L.A. Uh, he likes to get in your face, and he, he will blow you up. He doesn't care how big you are. He'll, he'll get in your face. Uh, but he is also on the older side. He's 31 and this is a very young roster we have here. So him being 31 is, is kind of on the old side. He's an athlete. He's got above average speed. Uh, he's got above average body control in the air. He's got above average acceleration. He's got the, the range and the athleticism to thrive. Uh, he mostly played in the slot for LA. Uh, but I feel like, or I feel like it's been said a lot that he's going to play mostly free safety for us. And I think that's going to help a lot because you can see it in the matchups that he, he had, if he had a matchup against maybe slower tight ends, he was able or, or running backs, he was able to hang with them. But as soon as he went up against some crafty, uh, routesmanship from wide receivers, you could see that he would get stuck a little bit and have to play catch up. Uh, but it, as free safety, he can sort of use his range and his, uh, uh, anticipatory skills, uh, to, to his advantage and really hone in on what made him great, uh, in the 2017 and 2018, uh, seasons where he played predominantly safety. Uh, 
there, as far as being a covered safety, there was not many people that were better than him in uh, 2007. I think he had a, uh, QB's had an NFL rating of around like 27 when throwing in his way. Uh, so that's pretty good. Uh, and I feel like we're going to definitely try to tap back into that past success. Uh, my fear is that he is on the older side. So maybe he yep. has lost a step. Uh, and maybe this will impact his range. And so, uh, and he, like I said, he is on the older side. So I don't think he will get a second contract from us either. So at the end of this year, we could be replacing two starting safeties. Uh, but what do you guys think of Joyner? A Joyner, man, you know, I really like Joyner's game as a free safety. You know, he's a rangy player. Like sometimes he waits for the quarterbacks to throw the ball because he knows he has this, the sideline to sideline speed to get there. So that makes him an A plus player. He waits and gets his range going. And, you know, in Oakland, when he played in Oakland or Vega, both is <laughs> the same team, but he played closer to the line of scrimmage. I feel like he was okay at times, but when he when he played the majority of snaps there, he like got exposed. His aggressiveness exposed him. So if the Jets plan to interchange him, both him and May, maybe he can be a more reliable player closer to the line of scrimmage as a nickelback than he was with the Raiders because you give him a smaller sample size there. And then you allow him to play the majority of snaps deep. That's where he feels comfortable and that's where he had his golden years in his career. And I, I feel like Joyner will be also a very important player in the secondary because May is the matchup guy, also help, help younger corners. But the Jets playing cover three, that deep middle guy, he'll help even more the younger corners if he has that range to move all around, move the whole field, and be that rangy guy that, you know, made C what made the C Seattle defense so great, or Thomas. I won't, I'm not saying that Joyner is going to be autonomous, but if he is as rangy as he was with the Rams, it's going to be a great signing for the Jets. It's a big if, though. Yep. He's yeah, older. That's a, yeah, that's where I come in with the if, because I think I'm a little more down on Joyner than you guys. Um, he was really, really good as a free safety with the Rams, but that was a few years ago. And he is 31, and his most recent tape has not been the best. Now, it's always possible for players to bounce back to form, improve. Uh, there's a saying that goes, uh, projection is not a linear, and that people can get better and get worse, and it can fluctuate. And that happens, and that's the NFL, for a multitude of different reasons. But I think it's going to be interesting to see because I'm trying to remember um, the Raiders defensive coordinator recently under John Gruden. If I'm not mistaken, I don't remember his name, but I believe they run a similar four, three cover three inspired system to what Robert Sala and, you know, uh, Jeff Ulbrich are planning to run in New York. And they had Joyner playing more down in the box. Now I think we all agreed that he would be better as a free safety. My worry and this is something that I think has been an issue with Joyner, even at his best, and you guys talked about it, is that aggression. And while his aggression is great and it allows him to drive on passes and create turnovers and come downhill fast and lay hits in the run game, it can also lead to missed tackles and it can also lead to getting caught out of position. And when yep. you are that deep safety and when you do have the young corners on the outside, you can't be the one getting caught out of position. 
you have to be the one on your P's and Q's every play to cover for the young corners on the outside. And so I worry a little bit about LaMarcus Joyner maybe having to cover more ground than expected because of the young corners, especially if the Jets plan on running a lot of cover three, because there's 18 million ways the NFL has found to beat cover three down the field. Now it's, yep. that's that it is. It's just bound to happen. It's you're going to sit and cover three and stock cover three all game. It's not 2013. You just can't do that. Now we know Robert Sala and Ulbrich aren't going to do that, but they've talked about wanting to do it a lot. And if they are going to do it a lot, LaMarcus Joyner needs to be on his game as a deep safety. And for that reason, I think it's a possibility, and I'm just going to throw this scenario out there, that Ashton Davis is the starting free safety by the end of the season. Could be. Mm-hmm. Could be. Uh, I was going to say when I got to Ashton that I like him more as a box player right now, but long term, he, if he gets up to the game speed on the second level, he, he would be a fantastic free safety. Like you're saying, Joiner, is that he's going to need to cover a lot of ground. And before, in his glory days, he had a good enough speed to sort of make up for uh, little mistakes here and there. Mm-hmm. But maybe he doesn't have that speed anymore, and that makes his job that much harder. So I could definitely see Davis overtaking it. But you know what? Davis has some things that he needs to work through as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's a scenario where Joyner, we see the age has really caught up to him and Davis is there for his athletic potential. And I think this is a really good transition to him. So Vitor, I'm going to let you go ahead and take it away with Ashton Davis. Okay, so Ashton Davis, guys, he flashed some potential last season. I like him more down box. He was more aggressive. He was more instinctive. He made some plays on the ground game. He's a good tackler, aggressive tackler, always going low below the ball carrier's knees. He had a great game against the Patriots when the Patriots were running a lot of 12 personnel and he was crashing down the line. But Ashton, I feel like his long-term potential is at free safety. The guy is just fantastic with range too, just like Joyner. He has those very fluid hips. And, and what Andrew Rogers said, it, it was going to be my ending to, to my Ashton Davis talk here. I feel like he's gonna, yeah. I feel no problem. I feel like he is going to start the season as our twelfth player in the defense, right? Linebacker comes out, Davis comes in. You don't trust your nickel. You have a maybe a more tight end like uh, slot receiver on the offense who put Davis in. Davis is going to be that guy. But maybe by the end of the season, if Joiner doesn't hold up, Davis is our starting free safety. He has that kind of potential. And right now, right now, with the weakness of the team, we're going to debate later being weak side linebacker and nickelback, cornerback, slot cornerback. Davis is really, really valuable down there close to the box. And that's just how I feel. I feel like a coach like Salah who exploit Davis' strength. That's playing aggressive, being a good tackler, being instinctive, and following the football. What do you guys think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely see the potential for him. He's a scrappy guy, uh, towards, uh, he's towards like the top of the league in, in missed tackle percentage. I think he had a 2.7. He had only one missed tackle all of last year. Uh, he's very impressive. Uh, I'd like to see him a little bit more physical in coverage because, uh, 
he has good size at six one, but I have seen bigger receivers and tight ends sort of body him out of the way. I'd like to see him be a little bit more sticky in coverage. Uh, but yeah, as a free safety, I like his speed and his range and his instincts. Uh, so I could definitely see him transitioning to that role. Uh, but we just haven't seen enough of him. I, we, we, he needs to put it together. And I think we definitely have an all-star cast of coaches that can really coach him up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest with you guys real quick. Uh, Ashton Davis was one of my draft crushes uh, a few years ago. I absolutely loved him coming out. And I loved him specifically as a free safety in cover three, because the best thing that he does is just run to the ball. And when he is deep and when he can see most of the field, he has really good range. His eyes are really good. He can make plays in the ball. His ball skills were great when he was at Cal. And he looked like that ball hawking free safety that you would expect to have in a cover three system. And I really think that, we're all, we've talked for a long time, and I've been guilty of this too. And I'm going to correct my own points that I've made on this show before, where we've been talking a lot about Ashton Davis's versatility. And I think he definitely has it. Without a doubt, I think all of that is true. And I think he is capable of playing a handful of different roles. But I think as we saw last year, maybe playing that many roles that quickly got a little overwhelming for him and made things a little difficult, made it a little harder for him to just click and close. Couldn't be. I think if you take this guy... And you just stick him at free safety and you say, go play center field. Just come downhill and be the last line of defense in the run game. If like, well, we can throw you in the run fit if we know the run is coming. But other than that, we want you back deep. Use your ball skills. Use your range. Go pick the ball off and crush people when they come over the middle. I think he would be really, really good. I think that's his best role. And I think if you want Ashton Davis to succeed, that is what you ask him to do. Is it possible for him to do a bunch of other things? Yes, but I think he would no, not be nearly as good at any of them as he would be as a deep safety. Yeah, my problem with this is last year when the Jets played Cobra Chu, Ashton Davis didn't play well as a half-deep player. Maybe he, he, he's better in the Cobra Tree scheme, but last year when the Jets went too deep, I, I thought Ashton was really, really bad. Two plays that caught my eyes and I watched his tape lately, later. Uh, double move by Tyreek Hill against the Chiefs. Completely, completely lack of awareness attacking Hill's double move. And the Patriots' completion to set up the game-winning field goal where I think it was Jacoby Myers, I don't remember correctly. They ran a deep curve right in front of him and he did an attack. He was playing out of position. Just like he, he didn't get up to speed, to the game speed on second-level throws yet just yet. And I feel like when you have both Joyner and May right now, two guys that you know can play deep, you, you just put them closer to the line so you can have Ashton on a young defense. I don't feel like that's going to be done by Sal and Newbert right now. Maybe later in the season, maybe next year, but right now I can only see Ashton playing close to the box. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree. Uh, even though it would be nice if we can move him to, to deep safety, uh, like you said, maybe we put too much on him too quickly as a, as a young talent. And I don't think we should do that again. Let's have him hone his craft at one place first and then expand from there or else we might just see similar results to last, as last year. 
It's, it's certainly possible. And I can understand the argument you guys are making for this year. And I don't necessarily disagree with it because I think right now, if I had to pick the two starting safeties, it would be Joyner in May, like we all expect it to be and know it's going to be. But you guys mentioned something earlier that I want to bring back up. We might have to replace two safeties next year. And yep. Ashton Davis could be one of those replacements. And this could be the year where learn from LaMarcus Joyner, learn from Marcus May. Let's, you will have you here doing this role as a reserve. You'll come in as a nickel. Cause I honestly don't think he's going to be, I think he's going to be strictly a secondary player. I think they're, they're linebackers or they're linebackers. And we'll get into that when we talk about linebackers, but it's, I think he's going to be more of a secondary player than anything else, even if he might be near the box. But I do think their long-term plans for him are at free safety. Cause I mean, that's what he was best at at Cal when he was in college. That was his best role. And I just feel like if you're going off why you drafted this guy in the third round, when you already had two starting safeties at that point, this was when Jamal Adams was still on the team. They drafted Ashton Davis. This was before any of the trade uh, talk started in the summer. They took Ashton Davis in the third round with a bunch of other needs. And I think it's because they saw his potential at free safety. And now I could be completely wrong. That's what I saw. I'm thinking that might be what they saw too. And I do think for this year, we're not going to quite see it as much, but if Joyner falters, who knows? Either way, this is a guy that's just got a lot of talent and you got to find a role for him because you can't just have talented players just sitting on the bench doing nothing. I agree. I, I, I definitely see him coming in a lot in big nickel uh, situations. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. Well, that's going to lead us to the first corner on the list. Uh, I'm going to take that over. That is the well-expected CB1 for next year. Bryce Hall uh, had a well better than expected rookie year. Um, did not play as much as we were all hoped. He was coming back from his injury. But when he did get on the field, he just seemed to get better and better with every game. And Bryce Hall, another guy that I really like coming out of the draft, a really good grade on, where he was just a smart, tough, big, physical, attacking zone corner who could also play man when needed and had great ball skills to match. And that's just, that's exactly the guy you want in the system. I, I don't know. I'm sure you guys probably might've seen something similar or different, but my pro player compare comparison for him coming out was Charles Tillman. And that's, I just saw this guy that was just a tough guy. who's going to hang out in zone may not be the fastest guy deep possible, but he's going to lay a hit. He's going to make plays on the ball. He's going to be a, a force in the run game in the screen game coming downhill and is just going to click and close and drive on the ball. And that's what he does best. And I really think that in this system, he's just going to flourish. I think he's only going to get better. Um, I'm expecting a lot out of Bryce Hall this next season. And it might be too big of expectations. I might be, we might be getting our hopes up because we've been begging for a corner for what feels like a decade, but I really, really think that this kid just, he has all the tools that you need specifically in this defense to be really, really good. And he showed that he can still be really good in a bad situation already. This guy's, I think, is the limit for him in this defense. I mean, yeah, he is cornerback one, but mostly because there's nobody else. This is true. Uh, uh, has he shown us enough? No, <laughs> not even close. But does he have that potential? Absolutely. Has he shown that potential? Yes. <laughs> Uh, so some of the things I loved coming out uh, about him coming out of uh, school was, uh, yeah, his ability in, in zone and how comfortable he looked, uh, how comfortable he looked disguising his coverages. Uh, I was always a little bit worried about him in press coverage because he didn't really do it a lot, but he definitely has the skill set to be good at it. Uh, so there's still a lot that we just that we like to see from him. Uh, I like to see him use leverage on the sideline a little bit better. 
But he again, he has all the potential in the world. And as far as we're concerned with the depth on this team, he is cornerback one. What I really, really like about, about Hal in his rookie year is that even when he allowed some catches against Dante Parker, against the Chargers, he was in good coverage. He always showed tight coverage. He didn't, you know, I liked his mentality. He allowed the catch, right? Okay, next snap, still the same way he played. Didn't play scared. And he showed some great awareness too. All, you know, the things that, the, the plays that come to my head right now are vertical routes by Parker and by the Chargers wide receivers, right? He's just covering the deep third and he's step-by-step of the guys. Okay, yeah. they got some back shoulders on him. No problem. He's going to learn to use the sideline, as Matt said. He's going to get better with his awareness. And if this coaching staff, Andrew, I'm with you. I feel like he can play a lot better than many guys, many people are expecting right now. Because people are like, the Jets have two needs at cornerback. I don't think so. I feel like Bryce Howell could be already a good starter this year. Obviously, when you don't have a good guy opposing him, it exposes his game also because, you know, it, it's harder. It's harder to get some balance on the defensive side of the ball. But I'm expecting a great season by Bryce Hall. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. He was rarely, if ever, caught out of position. And for a rookie corner, that's great to see. When he did get beat, he wasn't dusted. He wasn't, there was no clips of Bryce Hall getting completely and totally destroyed by anybody. It's Bryce yep. Hall being stride for stride with somebody and making a contested catch. You're going to lose sometimes. Devontae Parker's really good at making contested catches. It's why he went in the first round. You're going to lose against him sometimes. There's going to be times when you're going against Keaton Allen, who's one of the best route runners in the NFL, and he's going to catch some balls on you. That's what he does. And to be a rookie corner, not back down, like you said, to be in position the whole time, it, it really showed a lot. And the one thing that that Bryce Hall showed me from last year that I wanted to highlight that I think is the perfect just like encapsulate Bryce Hall in one play to show how he's going to fit in this defense. It's his interception against the Rams where yeah. they're in Tampa, too. And Bryce Hall was the cloud corner, doesn't remotely fall for the play action, knows the bootleg is coming and puts himself so perfectly in position between Jared Goff and the boot route or the crossing route coming across the field where he's just reading it and he's staying square. He knows Goff is going to throw it. He knows he's going to think that he's sitting too shallow and he's just making sure that in case Goff tucks and scrambles that he can go up and make the tackle. The second he sees his eyes look to the over, he sprints back, catches the ball with one hand and returns it for like an extra 25 yards. That is being a zone corner encapsulate that is well, quite honestly it's teaching tape for how to be a cloud corner against a bootleg and to have that instincts to have that awareness to know your role to not get fooled by a play action and be in the perfect position to bait a veteran quarterback into an interception say what you want about jared goff and i'm not necessarily his biggest fan either but he's still a veteran quarterback and you just baited him as a rookie into a pick that's impressive and I think he's going to get more opportunities like that this year than he did with Greg Williams because Greg Williams liked to play more man coverage and he's going to really thrive off of it. 100% agree. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he very much looked the part of a starting cornerback in the NFL. Absolutely. Coming off an injury is a fifth round pick on an Adam Gase coach team to look like a starting quarterback, a cornerback as a rookie. That's impressive. And that counts for something. Counts for a lot. All right, well, that's going to take us to the next guy. We're finally on to our first linebacker. That is going to be the free agent, Jared Davis, who came over by way of Detroit, former first-round pick. Matt, go ahead, take it away. 
So Davis is a physically gifted linebacker who has the range and the athleticism to be impactful, uh, especially in this robust Robert Sala linebacking scheme. Uh, Jared is aggressive uh, and unrelenting, but this is also his weakness. He could be extremely over aggressive. He can find himself out of position routinely. Um, Davis is drafted by the Lions, like I said, to be their mic and to run the defense. Uh, but for us, it will obviously be Mosley. Uh, so he will most likely be our Sam linebacker. Uh, and he seemed to fit well in a role in, in uh, Detroit when he wasn't asked to really be the headset of the defense where he could sort of just react where he can use his athleticism uh, and his aggressiveness to really benefit him. Uh, and he has the strength to take on fullbacks and tight ends. Uh, so I, I definitely see him in that Sam role. Uh, and the hidden benefit to him uh, will probably be his blitzing ability. Uh, he showed that he can rush the passer uh, and be very good at it. Uh, I see uh, delayed blitzes and, and green dog blitzes being his best friend. He's definitely got the workings of a linebacker that will fit on this team. Uh, I see the, uh, it's no mistake that they, they brought him in as a free agent. Sala is a linebacker guru. This, this is the kind of project that he can take on and make him into another star. And I, uh, he's, at a good age too. I believe he's, he's uh, only around like 27. I believe I, I, I can confirm that later, but, uh, but he, he can be a, the kind of guy that we coach up has a great season and bring him back next year. Uh, he definitely has the potential. He just uh, needs to control that aggressiveness a little bit so he can be more controlled uh, on the field. And that would benefit him greatly. Uh, what do you guys think? I feel like Gerard Davis is pretty much like LaMarcus Joyner's. They're both very aggressive and the Jets coaching staff trust themselves to fix this and, or better saying, allowing them to play free and up to their strengths. Gerard Davis is a guy that was drafted by the Lions and he was supposed to be their Mike, as you said, Matt, but he, he lacked, has always lacked awareness, good tackling. He, good angling and he didn't have a good start to his career, especially he didn't play up to his draft slot, but in a nutshell, he's a very aggressive physical talented, physically talented player that can be coached up. And I feel like that's what Salah and Obrich, they think they saw the jets roster said that saw the team had a linebacker deficiency. They didn't want to spend big money. So they went after a guy that they thought, and they also think, they can coach him up. And Davis is that kind of guy. Davis, as, as you said, Matt, is a fanta fantastic blitzer. He blitzes well. The Jets won't be a team that will blitz much like the Greg Williams defense, but obviously they will blitz sometimes, and Davis, is, Davis fits that. Davis is a guy that can play downhill. So against the run, he's a guy that will play downhill. And if the Jets coaches can fix his awareness up, his angling to tackle, and his coverage ability, he can be good, but a lot of ifs, right? A lot of yeah. ifs. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of ifs. Um, he has first round athleticism without a question. Uh, he does not have first round uh, mental understanding. 
And I think that is kind of what caused him issues in Detroit when they were expecting him to be the mic and handling the play call duties and being the leader of the defense. That was a lot for him to take on, especially in a Matt Patricia defense that was probably pretty complicated. It may not have been very good, but it was pretty complicated. Uh, yep. And that's that's a lot. Now, as we've said to you know over and over on this show, the Jets have some of the best linebacker coaches in that, in the NFL point blank period. And they might have the single two like best linebacker coaches period in one room in the NFL right now and Jeff Ulbrich and Robert Sala. So if there's ever a, a team to improve Jared Davis, it's the Jets. And I think what we're all expecting for him is the Sam linebacker where he isn't going to be an every down player. He's going to be the guy that gets taken out when they go nickel. And if they bring in the Ashton Davis or they bring in a slot corner or somebody else, Jared Davis is going to be the guy probably coming off the field. And I quite honestly, I think that's good because when he can just attack downhill and when he can use that athleticism and just find his gap and get downhill and attack, he's really good at it. That's it's, it's the best thing he does to be quite honest. And I really hope, I don't even say, I hope I expect that our coaching staff is going to improve his game and he is going to be a solid starter as a Sam linebacker and it's going to fill his role. That's all they're going to ask him to do. They're not going to ask him to do anything that he's not going to be capable of. And I think he's going to be really solid at it. I don't think he's going to be amazing. I'm not expecting, you know, a pro bowl year from Jared Davis, but I don't think we're going to be sitting here saying it was a bad signing at all. I think we're going to be saying it was a really good value signing. He definitely has that potential. Uh, my only fear is, what do we have as t- in terms of depth behind them? Not much. <laughs> yeah, not much. Maybe you could hope for a career arc of Gerard Davis, similar to the former Jets, Demario Davis, who was not good here in New York in the first part of his career, went to another team and got better. You know, Maybe Gerard Davis is that kind of guy. The Jets drafted Demario Davis to be Bart Scott and then David Harris' replacement on a not easy 34 defense, just like Patricia's. And he went to a 43 scheme and he played better. Maybe that happens also with Gerard Davis. Yeah, I actually really, really like that comparison because it goes it goes even further because coming out of, out of college, Demario Davis was the raw athletic linebacker who was great yep. at coming downhill. And exactly. It was the same type of thing as Jared Davis. And that's why, you know, people expected him to be a good three, four Mike, because they're saying you don't have to get, you know, outside to the hashes and be chasing people all over the field. You just get to go from tackle to tackle and clean up inside. That's all well and good. But when you also have to call the defense, that's something else. And I think Demario Davis is a perfect example. Like that's that that was really like I'm right there with you. That it's you go to a scheme that's less complicated, that's more about using your athleticism and just getting into the right spot and then attacking, I really think he can improve. I'm, I'm excited to see how he plays, honestly. Yep. Me too. It's all about putting him in the position to thrive. And I don't, I have all the faith in the world that they'll do that with Davis. Yeah. Oh, I just checked in by the way, he's 26 and he will not be 27 until November. Oh, there we go. So a younger player, this is a guy that could maybe earn himself into another contract. I certainly see that yep. that would be the hope. That, that should be what we're hoping for. Yep. All right. Well, that's going to take us to the last linebacker that we know for sure. And the last of our have not or have of our have nots list. And that is CJ Mosley. Uh, the former very expensive free agent has had the last basically two entire seasons not playing after signing as a major free agent. And now he's expected to come back. He is going to be playing. Uh, he's going to be the starting Mike linebacker for all indications. Vitor, go ahead and break down CJ Mosley in 2021. 
Well, guys, first and foremost, Mosley comes with a big if. If he goes back to his physical ability in 2019, he's going to be an asset for, for this defense. It's great that the first signs are that he looks good. In minicamp and in OTAs, he looks sharp. And, and that's a great time because TJ Mosley in 2019, the only game he played, he was the best player on the field, hands down. CJ Mosley is a guy, you know, he's completely different to, to Gerard Davis, right? Mosley is not the most athletic player there is, but he is so smart that the field becomes smaller for him. He doesn't have to do many things to cover the ground. He knows what's coming. He knows what the offense is trying to do. I watched the entire game of the Jets against the Bills week one, 2019, and what he does pre-snap is just fantastic. He just puts everybody in their spots, looks to the quarterback, guesses plays, and that's just going to be key for a young Jets defense. The Jets, we're going to talk later, they have a position battle for the weak side linebacker spot. Who wins? Who will be an inexperienced player? Davis is a guy that's coming into a new system, uh, and that's what Mosley is. Mosley is a guy that is a reliable vet that will get everyone around him better. Mosley as that 4-3 guy, he won't be Fred Warner. No, he won't. But he is the X factor to this defense. If he plays well, those middle guys that are around him right there are going to play better. Are going to play better because they know their responsibilities will be only one, do their job. Because everything else will be taken care of by Mosley. I mean, yeah, a, a common theme for today's show is if. <laughs> There's so many ifs. And yeah. Mosley falls under that as well. But I am very confident that he's going to play with his hair on fire, that he's going to have a chip on his shoulder because of that limited access that we had to him and how good he was. And I feel like he was ready to explode uh, onto the scene for us. And I think he wants to get that back and show everybody that he still has it. And he's still under 30. He's, he's not that old. I think he still has enough in the tank to really show us exactly what we were seeing against the Bills. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're all hoping for. Um, I know I am, especially for his price tag. Um, but yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be optimistic for a second because I think if there's, you know, of all the positions in the NFL to take years off and have it benefit you, middle linebacker is, is not the worst one because they take a lot of collisions and they take a lot of wear and tear on their body. And this could be an issue where you expect, yes, CJ Mosley is two years older than he was before, but he's also two years less free of all the contact and tackles and collisions and injuries that he would have taken over two years playing as a Mike linebacker. And I think, especially since the injury that he had that took him out for the whole 2019 season, basically was a groin injury that's something where CJ Mosley, the number one thing we're worried about is, is he going to be the same guy? And what we mean is athletically, because we know he's going to be the same guy mentally. We know he's going to be on his stuff. He's going to have all of his checks down. He's going to know his role. He's going to know his position. We know that we're not worried about that with CJ Mosley in the slightest. We're worried about, are you the same caliber of player you were in the first half of the bills game in 2019? I think two years of rest might've actually really helped. I think it could end up being really beneficial. I think it could have given him time to get fully healthy, to not have to have all these collisions. I would think that if there was 
I haven't heard a single report of anywhere saying he's out of shape or that he wasn't taking care of his body in the offseason. If if that was serious, he's been in the building. We would have heard it. We would have had some under you know some rumor from somewhere, true or otherwise. We haven't heard anything. So clearly, this guy has taken care of himself. I think that I think he could, if not get exactly back to the form that he was before. I think he's going to be really close to it. I don't think C.J. Mosley is going to be a disappointment. I don't think this is going to be an awful, awful free agent signing. It probably wasn't a smart one. If we're being completely and totally honest, Mike McCagden liked to give out a lot of money and a lot of stupid ways, but I'm not going to think that this is going to be a all time bust of a free agent deal. And CJ Mosley to the jets was terrible. And Mike McCagden is another, another thing to throw into the fire of bad things that he did. Was it smart? Probably not. But I do think CJ Mosley is going to be a valuable asset to this team, regardless of how much he costs. Yep. Well, I mean, one thing I don't think, he has lost is his mental capacity for the position. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That's a large part of his game is knowing exactly where to be and what to Definitely. do. And that I don't see changing at all. He never was the fastest person. He was never the most athletic person. So even if he's lost, even the slightest bit in that category, he still has the mental capacity for the position. And I see that being his biggest asset. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. His brain is going to take him to the ball faster than his feet would have normally. And that's a big help. That's always been a big help to his game. Like you said. All right. Well, that is our halves. We're going to get into the have nots. Now these are positions that are wide open. There are multiple players that are capable of filling the role. And rather than go position by position and player by player, we're going to just going to take a look at the position battle as a whole and each break it down one by one and throw our thoughts. in. in the meantime, we're going to start right off with the cornerback two spot. Uh, as we said, Bryce Hall was the de facto cornerback one. The cornerback two is completely up in the air. Matt, go ahead and break down who's going to be fighting for the quarterback two spot. Sure. So the quarterback two battle uh, is between right now a year three, six round pick and bless Austin uh, year two undrafted free agent in Lamar Jackson. And then you got two rookies, uh, Jason Pinnock and Isaiah Dunn. Uh, And there's a decent likelihood that we're probably talking about somebody else completely different by the start of week one. They will most likely bring somebody else in. Uh, I think during OTAs, they're definitely giving uh, a lot of these people, a lot of these guys uh, a chance to show what they can do. Just, you know, because you got these young guys, they need to learn. They need to see the field. They need to get their snaps. Uh, and they're definitely going to get that chance, and they've gotten that chance already. Uh, but let's start with Bless, uh, who came on strong in, in uh, year one. Uh, and But last year, he, he kind of fell off, and we, we sort of got an idea of exactly who Bless was. Uh, he can lay the wood and run support, but he leaves a lot on the table in terms of coverage. Uh, he really needs to see the field better. His eyes are... His, uh, his biggest flaw, uh, his awareness, his eyes, his ability to see everything in front of him. Uh, it just makes him that much slower in reaction and it hurts him. Uh, but he has a chance to, to get a lot better under uh, better coaching. And we hope he takes that step and he's got the most experience out of everybody. Uh, so if anybody can take an, another step in the direction of being where we need him to be, uh, I think blessed is a little bit closer to getting there. Um, let's see with the rookies, you've got uh, Jason Pinnock, uh, who has the physical tools 
to really get the job done and to thrive in this kind of defense. He's got the instincts. He, he has good eyes, unlike Bless. So he's able to see the field and take advantage of uh, wayward passes that will come from uh, our defensive front doing their job. He's the kind of guy that is hungry and wants the ball and he will go up and get it. Uh, and then you have Isaiah Dunn, who uh, is a guy, is the guy that uh, Joe Douglas really went after as an undrafted free agent. Uh, he, I think he was uh, the highest paid undrafted free agent ever. So it, sh- it shows the confidence that they have in him. And he didn't disappoint in OTAs. He was all over the field. Uh, you can constantly see down the Twitter feed, people praising Dunn uh, and he's going to get a shot in training camp as well. Uh, time will tell whether he goes by way of Chauncey Stuckey or snacks. So we'll, we'll see. And then you got Lamar, uh, Lamar Jackson. Uh, so Lamar, he, if you, if you take away that, that uh, rugs touchdown, he gave up against Oakland. Uh, he didn't play horribly. He did give up five touchdowns last year, but he didn't look completely lost. Uh, and he can definitely stand to to improve with better coaching as well. Um, he's He does have a year under his belt, so maybe things slow down for him. He does have the size. He does have the physicality uh, to thrive in, in, in this role. Uh, it's just a matter of these guys blessing him, taking that next step and sort of honing in on what they need to fix and actually fixing it. Uh, but right now there's not a lot of, of talent here that we could say for sure belongs in a starting position, which is why I firmly believe that we will bring somebody else in. Uh, until then I would say my pick is either blessed or Lamar Jackson, uh, taking the cornerback two position. What about you guys? As much as I don't like Bless's game because of his lack of awareness, his eyes and everything that you said, Matt, I feel like between those guys right now, you almost have to start Bless. Uh, Pianak is a guy that we don't know who he is. Lamar Jackson, I feel like he's a downgrade from Bless Austin, even though he didn't play as bad as some people think last season thanks to the the Raiders play. But in this group, you almost have to play Bless. Right. You, you don't have another way out unless a younger guy shows up and just blows you away in training camp. So that's why I feel like this coaching staff will either add a vet or trust Blast to perform at a at least league average cornerback or slightly below average level, trusting their scheme over everything else. Because this cornerback two group is just unimpressive at least. So what do you think, Andrew? Uh, I'm actually a little bit different than you guys, and I'm kind of glad because I really thought that that at least I really honestly, Vitor, I thought you and I were going to be on the same page here, but I'm a little surprised that we aren't. Um, I'm going to sit here and say that the number one guy I do not want playing as the quarterback too is Bless Austin, because as we talked about with Bryce Hall just a little bit ago, zone corners, you got to be good with your eyes. You got to know your role. You got to be able to read multiple routes at once. It's different than when you're in man and you just stare at the receiver's hips and follow where he goes. It takes a hell of a lot of athleticism and instincts and talent to play man coverage. I'm not saying that it doesn't. There's a reason guys that can lock up in man get paid top quarter money. They deserve it. But 
if you're going to be a zone heavy corner, you got to be good with your eyes. And that is the one thing that bless Austin hasn't been at any point during his playing time. And so I'm really worried about expecting him even under our coaching staff. And I'm nothing against our coaches. As we've said, we all think they're fantastic and that they're going to help this defense. And I think Blisson Austin will improve, but I don't know if he's going to improve enough quick enough to where they're going to feel comfortable having him as the cornerback too, because I think he's just going to get picked on quite honestly. I think they're going to catch him out of position and they're going to flood his zone and say, be wrong because we know you will be. And I'm really worried about that. So I'm going to throw out Jason Pinnock or Pinnock, excuse me, to be this cornerback too. Because I think of all of these guys, including Isaiah Dunn, including Lamar Jackson, everybody else, being a boundary corner in cover three, he has the best skill set to fit that role. And the number one thing that he does, quite honestly, I think better than anybody else in this group. And you mentioned this earlier, Vitor, which is why I thought we were going to agree. Jason mm-hmm. Pinnock is fantastic at playing the sideline. And you need to be really good at playing the sideline as a cover three boundary corner. On top of that, his ball skills on the sideline are one of his best traits. That's, that's what you want to have as that larger outside guy. It's let alone being a little bit bigger and having the range and zone coverage and the length to maybe jam and press. You want guys that turn the ball over. You want guys that, that create interceptions, that break up passes. You want guys that attack the ball. Jason Pinnock attacks the ball and he knows how to use the sideline to match his frame. I think it may not be right away. I really am not sure it will be, but I'm, I'm think that this could be the guy that ends up as our cornerback too. How good at it as he is, I'm not yet to be seen. I think he can be solid. I think he can certainly get to the point of being better. I'm not sure it'll happen right away, but I really like his skill set and I really like the nuances to his game for being that boundary corner in a cover three where I think he could have a really good career if everything goes right. So I'm, I was really surprised to hear that we, we differed on that. But uh, to cover the other guys real quick, I do. We all know that I like Lamar Jackson. I'm not going to go through my rant over Greg Williams putting him on one-on-one again. We've all <laughs> been there. Um, so I think Lamar Jackson has talent too, and I think he could be the other guy that takes the cornerback two job. Um, I'm interested in Isaiah Dunn. But and I think that he certainly has impressed and I want to see more, but I'm I worry about his fit long term as a boundary corner as a cornerback, too. I could be completely wrong because for all we know, Robert Sala doesn't care. He played Jason Verrett as a boundary corner in San Francisco and Jason Verrett was great at it. And Jason Verrett's 5'10". So maybe it doesn't matter. But me Mm. personally, from what I see, I think Jason Pinnock is the guy that might grow into that role out of this group. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think Blas Austin is a terrible fit from what he has shown in his career. But the problem is I don't feel like they're going to just throw out a six-round pick week one into the field as a starter. I feel like by the end of the season, Pinnock could be your starter. No doubts about that. But to start the season, if they don't have a vet, I just cannot see them, play, them playing somebody else than not Blas Austin. Because Austin has been a starter, you know, He's a vet. He has been in the league. He's up to the game speed. He has awful eyes and all of that. But maybe they, again, they give a vote of confidence to their scheme and they believe the scheme will mask Austin's some, some of Austin's issues. And it, it's so hard for a six-rounder come out of the field and just, hey, go ahead, be your cornerback, too. I, I really don't think that they will do that. But in a vacuum, Pinnock is a better fit than Austin. No doubts about that. Yep. I'm with Vitor. Uh, n- none of us are going to deny his long-term potential. 
But if we're talking about week one and who's going to win that battle, uh, I would say it is probably blessed. And, but, and that's probably not a good thing. And that's probably something that Joe Douglas and Robert Sala also don't think is a good thing. And that's probably when they pull the trigger on a vet signing. If, if bless is their best option, maybe they don't like their best option. Yeah, it's certainly possible. Uh, if, if bless Austin is our cornerback too, God bless us. Um, God bless us. God bless <laughs> us. Uh, that'll take us to slot corner, which is another spot that's open. I think we all agree that there's more potential in this group. Maybe overall, I think we're a little more excited about the guys that are playing slot uh, than the guys that might be in cornerback two outside. Vitor, go ahead and break down the slot position because this one's going to be fun. Yeah, we have basically three guys competing for one spot: Michael Carter, Michael Carter the second, uh, Javelin Guidry, and Brittany Knuckles. And really, really, I have to highlight first and foremost. Michael Carter's tape is just fantastic, really, for a cornerback. He has great awareness. His eyes are great. He always checks into the backfield to look at quarterbacks. He's never out of position, and I was impressed. Javelin Guidry is also a guy that impressed me last season. He was all over the field in man coverage. He had tight coverage throughout his reps, and he was a surprise for an undrafted free agent that many of us thought wouldn't hit the field last season. And in the end, you have Brandon Eccles, who is just a great athlete. 4.36, 40-time, a guy that has blazing speed. And the Jets were like, hey, a guy with this high of a threat, athletic traits fell out to the sixth round. Let's take him. And that's, that's a pick for the Jets. And right now, I really don't know who's going to start. I feel like the battle right now is basically Gidry against Carter and Carter has the advantage because he was this coaching staff's draft pick. And I feel like he's just much more fluid in everything else. And when in man coverage, something that Salah said, he wants guys that get the team off the field. Right. And when it's third down offenses go 11 personnel, you get those lot wide receiver that are just first down machines. The same thing the Crowder is for us. Many teams have their, for their third down machines. Cole Beasley from Buffalo is one example. And who's going to match up to those guys? Has to be a slot corner, right? And I, 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 when I watched Carter's tape, I could just think, man, this guy can play one-on-one coverage. He has great hips. He is aware of what's happening. And I was just impressed. But also Gidry, as I said, had a great end for his 2020 season. So I am really eagering to hear what you guys think. My vote right now is for Michael Carter because his tape blew me away in the last couple of days. Uh, I'm going to go with Gidry because like Eccles and uh, Carter, he's got blazing speed as well. And he's shown that he can use that in the field and use that speed and, and control it. And that is a lot of the reason why he was so sticky in coverage. Uh, you'll be hard pressed to find anybody in the slot that, can really blow past him. Uh, I think he continues uh, uh, his uh, trajectory and puts on a good second season. Yeah, um, I'm going to split the difference between you guys because I, quite honestly, if I had to pick one, I think the slight edges go into Javelin Gidry, but it's really tight because I liked Michael Carter's tape a lot too. And, and I saw the same type of things you did, Vitor, where he's just, he's very smart. He stays in position. He's sticky in coverage. He can come downhill in the run fit. He's not shy of contact. 
Like he's he's a smart player that knows how to play slot corner. It's evident. And that's a it's its own unique position. It's not you're not just a corner. Yep. Being a slot corner is different than being an outside corner. It's a completely different, completely different world. And Michael Carter clearly knew what he was doing in that role. And I was very much impressed by his tape and think that he could have a future. But I really think Javin Javelin Gidry's a find man. I, I just think that this kid this kid is going to be in the league. If it's not with the Jets, if they end up having taking Michael Carter and saying, we like him better and we're going to make him our slot corner, he's going to find his way on some other roster. And I just feel like this guy's going to get on the field. He's just too talented not to. I mean, we talked about Brandon Eccles running 4-3-6 and, and having that talent available in the sixth. Well, here's 4-2-9 undrafted. That, that doesn't yeah. happen often. And the yeah. one thing with Javelin Gidry that he that he did on top of his ability in coverage, because I thought he was really solid in coverage. And Matt, you said it was the same thing. I thought that he can move really well at that speed. He doesn't lose speed when changing direction. He was a really solid tackler, too. He was solid in the run game when he had he to make tackles, solid. when he had to be when he had to make a stop. He did when he when people made a catch on him, he brought them down. And that's a big part of being a slot corner because you're going to have to be in the run fit a lot more. You're going to be either the backside choke player or you're going to be the force player. And you got to you got to be able to come downhill sometimes and make a tackle and not get broken off. And Gidry did a really good job at that for a guy that's smaller. I mean, this is not a guy with really anyone would say with size and he was able to not miss tackles. I really think he is the one guy that is. I, while I'm very hopeful for Michael Carter and I agree that his tape was really, really good and it surprised me a lot. I'm, I just, Javelin Gidry is something. And I really think he deserves the crack to see what he is before we hand the job to Michael Carter. Yep. And he gives me a lot of hope that for some of our other late round guys like Pinnock and, and Dunn, that maybe they can make that impact year one. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, this guy came in as an undrafted player. The Jets corners, just to end on the corners where we move on. I mean, the end of the season, the Jets corners were a fifth round pick and two undrafted free agents. Yeah. I wouldn't be mad if Gidry's starting. Is that right now I'm just blown away by Carter's awareness, everything that I saw in his state. But Gidry, of course, he was fantastic last season when in action. And I feel like his speed, his ability, and I think he had four forces fumbles also last year. He's a short tackler, and that's really, really important. Uh, and that's it. It's going to be a great battle to watch throughout training camp, and I'm excited to see who wins it. Yeah, it's going to be a great battle for sure, 100%. Well, that's going to lead us into the last battle on our have-nots list. I'm going to take over. That is the Will Linebacker spot. Uh, probably my favorite two draft picks, honestly, as I've gotten more into their each of their tapes. They're leading it off, and that is Jamie and Sherwood and Hamza Nasruddin. Uh, Blake Cashman is in there as well. He was a former, I believe he was a fifth round pick a few years ago. He's battled a lot of injuries, but another guy that had a lot of athletic talent that was really good out in space, covering ground, chasing players to the edge. Um, I think he can improve with our coaching staff like any other linebacker that's going to be coached by Robert Sala and Jeff Ulbrich. But I'm a little less confident in Blake Cashman than I am everybody else. And I'm not going to spend too much time talking about him because quite honestly, I think he's just going to end up being a backup player. And I think that's where he's going to find his role more than anything else. I'm not really sure he has a future on this team. If the Jets were all that confident in Blake Cashman, they wouldn't have signed a linebacker and drafted two more. So I'm I'm not thinking that Blake Cashman is going to be long for the future on the Jets. So I'm just going to move on from him. And I'm going to talk about the two guys that they did draft that are both former safeties, Jamie and Sherwood from Auburn, Hamza Nasruddin from Florida State. I have never 
had to split my heart in half between two guys that I love fighting for one job on the Jets more because I fell in love with Jamie and Sherwood immediately. We all know this as tape blew me away after having absolutely no expectations to see a guy that I thought was just a four, seven safety that they said was going to play linebacker and then see that he played every role on the Auburn defense, except defensive line knew what he was doing the whole time and made sure everybody else knew what he was doing the whole time. And then would go make plays and coverage like any other safety you would expect. So I'm, I'm really confident in Jamie and Sherwood. None of that has changed. I actually got a chance. I did an interview with one of his former high school coaches and that just made it even more so uh, of a love affair because I heard how smart he was in high school, how dedicated to the game he is, how good of a person he is, how hard of a worker he is, all of that. Just, and I could not have heard better reviews from a guy that coached him than what I heard from Jamie and Sherwood. And that was Chris Kokel was his former coach. What I heard from Chris Kokel was fantastic. But then I started and calmed down a little bit and I got into Nasruddin's tape. And when Hamza Nasruddin is healthy, holy hell, this is an athlete. This is a rangy 6'4", 220 guy with probably sub 4'5 speed when he's at his, at his best. And some of just the, it's, I don't even want to call it ball skills. It's like ball magnetism. He forces fumbles. He gets interceptions. He catches balls that are tips for picks. He just finds the ball and he creates turnovers. There's a play that he had that I watched just earlier this morning, or I think it was his first year at Florida state before his injury where he's coming in on a green dog and he's rushing the passer and he goes up against a guard and he goes to jump and swat the pass. And if you ever uh, hear any around any offensive lineman, this phrase they're going to say over and over is punish jumpers. When that guy jumps in the air, you push him in a chest and knock him on his ass. That happened. Nazaldean got knocked on his ass while on the ground. He resets himself and starts crawling towards the quarterback because the defensive end on the backside forced a sack fumble. Nazaldean recovers the fumble after getting knocked out, jumping, trying to swat a pass that level of effort and intensity and just the way the ball just finds him. It's special. There's just no other way to quantify it. It's one of those it factors that you know it when you see it and you'll never, if you're looking for it, the guy doesn't have it. Hamza Nazaldeen absolutely has that ick factor of just the ball finding him. And conversely, I think he is a smart player and I think he has good instincts. I think Jamie and Sherwood might be a little bit better. And so that I think is going to lead to the really, really interesting battle between the two of them because it's the athlete versus the brain, really, for me. If you took Jamie and Sherwood's head and stuck it on Hamza Nazaldeen's body, we probably have a Pro Bowl rookie linebacker. But we don't have that. We have these two guys with very similar, but not quite exactly the same skill sets. They're kind of two sides of the same coin. And it's going to be really interesting to see who ends up claiming this job. I would not be able to live with myself if I did not pick Jamie and Sherwood. So I'm going to say that he is going to walk out with the starting wheel job out of this group. But if it is Hamza Nasruddin, I will not be surprised because I think he's a really talented player too. But the one point I want to make before I let, I want to hear what you guys think as well is the Jets drafted Sherwood first. Both of these yeah. guys were on the board. They hadn't taken a single defender yet in the entire draft. The first defender drafted under Robert Sala was Jamie and Sherwood. I think that stands for something. Oh, it absolutely does. And I see a lot of the other two linebackers in both of these guys. You, like you said, you got the athlete and the brain. Uh, Mosley would be the brain and, and Davis would be the out, uh, the athlete. Uh, and uh, just like uh, Davis, uh, Hamza has a little bit of an overaggression uh, issue where he can play himself out of position. Uh, I would say Sherwood 
has the exact opposite issue where Agreed. sometimes he is a little timid and he needs to be a little bit more sure of himself. Uh, but once he gets that, oof, he's, he's going to be pretty much a, a complete linebacker. Yeah. You know, my opinion is based on what the Jets have signed and which players they have signed is that it could be Nasruddin's job to lose. What do I mean by saying that? Is that the Jets are going to give Hamza every chance he can to earn the job. He's the more athletic player. He's more aggressive. So he fits what they're trying to do. And they're going to give him the reps. But if Hamza shows that he's not mentally there yet, they have a high high floor player in Sherwood, and he's just going to get the job. Agree with you, Andrew. Blake Cashman, I feel like he won't even be healthy come week one because I cannot trust that anymore. And it's going to be a Hamza against Sherwood battle. And if Hamza proves to not be up to the task, if Hamza proves that he's not ready quite yet, I feel like Sherwood is the floor and you simply just, okay, let's get Jamie in on the field. He knows what to do. He's going to be a high IQ player and he's going to get the job done. But if Hamza shows that he's ready, they're just going to unleash him and start him right away. Yeah, I, I definitely could see that. However, I do think, and the reason I went with Sherwood in the end is I think that there's two sides to is Hamza ready? Because it's, is he mentally ready? And is he back to full health? Because the mm -hmm. last two seasons, he barely played. He played one game yeah. in 2019 before tearing an ACL. He played two games in 2020 that were spaced out in between two of other injuries. And he's had time to get healthy and he seemed healthy at OTAs. But how close to 100% are you from the early year Nasruddin that we saw that people were maybe mentioning as a first-round player? Because at his best, that's what the guy you see. You see a guy that, quite honestly, reminded me a little bit of Derwin James, where it's just this giant dude moving easily, picking off passes like any other free safety would, and then coming down and laying a hit in the run game and knocking somebody completely out of the play. You know, that's, that's a valuable player. And if he can get back to that level of health, that level of athleticism, and then gets the mental uh, aspects to match, I do think it is his job to lose. But I think Jamie and Sherwood is, has that mental leg up. And like we talked about with CJ Mosley, it gives him that extra first step. If he just learns to take the seatbelt off and just go and not be just that slightest bit hesitant. He's this where he knows what's coming pre-snap. He's got it all down. And then the ball is snapped and he just waits that half second to make sure he's right. The second he loses that, I mean, I think he's going to be, he's going to be something else. Yep. That's, that's a lot of the reason why I think Sherwood is probably going to win the job because he's already so much, so far ahead of where he needs to be mentally. Uh, and they did take him first for a reason. So uh, uh, those two ifs that that Hamza has are probably the two ifs that are going to slow him down and the two ifs that are probably going to be the reason he loses the job. Yeah, it's yet to be seen. Um, yep. We got training camp coming up real soon. That is going to be the deciding factor for all of these battles. Uh, it's going to be when the pads come on. I do think it's possible, like Matt, you mentioned with the quarterback spot, that there could be somebody that isn't signed yet that ends up coming in. And I think eventually for a lot of these spots – there's draft picks in the future that are going to fill these spots that aren't here yet too. And we could be spending a lot of time talking about players for the 2021 season 
and 2022 might look a lot different. I would want to end the show with the note that the Jets' defensive overhaul is by no means complete, and it hasn't even really started. I'd love to hear what you guys think of that as well, because I think next year is going to be the let's go get Robert Sala a defense year. Could be the same thing that it was for our offense this, this year. First four exactly. picks, offensive player. First four picks next year, defensive guys. Cornerback, maybe another edge rusher, will linebacker and safety. Who knows? But I agree. 2022 could be our defensive draft to get Salah his guys. Yeah, if you if you look at the cornerbacks coming out next year, there are some very good prospects. Uh, and I, I like we said with uh, the safeties, we're probably going to be looking at two new safeties as well. Um, and like we said, there's so many ifs and the chances are that a lot of those ifs don't follow through. They don't pan out. So we could be looking at, at some surprises that we need to fill. Maybe we need to replace uh, Mosley. Maybe Davis doesn't pan out. Maybe the other Davis doesn't pan out either. So there's so many p things that could, that could change and that could go wrong uh, and just, flat out don't pan out so yes i i can see us going heavy on defense next year yeah and quite honestly i would prefer that strategy because what i love about our front office and coaching staff as a cohesive unit is that they recognize that robert sala is a defensive coach who's bringing in another really smart defensive mind to be his defensive coordinator too and they have some smart defensive talent in the room that's seasoned but the guy who's new on the job is their rookie oc so let's give him all the talent. Let's trust our season coaches and our defensive coaches to kind of, you know, work with what they have a little bit for this year and maybe not have the most talented players at every spot, which they still added talent, but maybe not, you know, to the level of your first four picks being offensive players. But the Jets wanted to, like we've said before, build their foundation on offense first. And I think we hopefully they have done that. And I think next year, you're going to, it's going to be exactly what you guys mentioned. It's just going to be defense, defense, defense to start. I'm going to start just right now, say Derek Stingley, just draft Derek Stingley in the first round. Like I just, I don't care that it's early. I don't care that it's, it's July when we're recording this. I want Derek Stingley in the first round to be the cornerback two or potentially even cornerback one over Bryce Hall, because I think he's that talented. He's that good of a fit in the system. And I'm calling my shot, Derek Stingley round one. I would love that pick. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, but I, I eventually, I don't, I don't think Joe Douglas forgets his roots, which is offensive line. And I definitely see him probably taking another offensive line somewhere in the first three rounds. Yeah, I could see it. I could see it. Joe Douglas is an offensive lineman and he does believe winning in the trenches. So I could definitely see that. Uh, I just, I do think that like we just talked about, it's going to be the defensive overhaul to start next year. And I, I think there's no better way to do that than with a first round corner. Agreed. I just hope I just hope we're not bad enough to pick Stingley because I think he's gonna be selected really, really early in the draft. I just hope we're not that bad. I think I'd honestly trade up for him. It's in a strategy for sure. We have two first round picks next season again. And two seconds. Yep. yep. Which we didn't have this year. And we only had one, two, we had two threes. Yeah. But two first and two seconds. I'm I'd seriously consider it. I mean, we have to see maybe Derek Singley has a absolute bonkers season and is going to go in the top five. And I don't think the Jets are going to be anywhere near the top five, but I can, we can hope. 
and maybe they do pull off a trade up, but it's, they have options, which is good. And we know that that's going to be their strategy of attack. Yes, we yeah. do. All right. Well, guys, that has been uh, the defensive backfield haves and have nots show. We've covered the entire defense at this point, uh, including defensive line last week. Uh, we're not, I wouldn't say overall, you want to get a quick, just overall expectations for the defense and get out of here. Um, I don't think anyone is expecting them to be amazing. I think they will be solid. I think they will be better in points than in yards. And next year is when things are going to really start to come together to try and build the punishing defense to go with the explosive offense. Uh, well, I, everything's going to flow through that uh, the pass rush. If the pass rush does their job, it's going to make the job of everybody else a lot easier. Uh, and you know what? I don't. I have all the faith in the world that that group will actually play very well. And they have the depth where even if a few people do go down, they can fill in and get the job done. Uh, so they will definitely be a lot better than last year. I, I'm comfortable saying that. Uh, where they are, I say anywhere from top 20 to top 10. Yeah. It also, the D-line, all, if everything goes through the D-line, right? If the D-line goes great and the back seven plays solid, I feel like this could be at least in points a top 15 unit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm right there with you. My guess is 20th in yards and 16th in points. That's solid. Yeah, that's that's okay. Yep. Yeah, that's what I mean. But better than it was the year before, by no means would anyone sit there and say elite or maybe even good, but solid. And it wouldn't be a liability. And I think that's the important thing. Is it's not going to be a liability this year. It could be a strength of the team next year, but get the offense right. Trust your coaches on the defensive side of the ball to do the right thing. We got a lot of battles that we got to see are going to shake out. Uh, we're obviously, who knows the improvements or the falters. There's always the option that players maybe don't live up to the expectations and, and fail when we expect them to succeed. But that's what training camp's for. And we got training camp coming up real soon. We got a couple more episodes before then, but it's going to be a really fun show. I'm excited for everybody to hear uh, this episode that we went through. I think was really, really fun. Uh, guys, let's go ahead and drop our handles, call it a day, and get ready for training camp in a real short time. You can find me at Zazzy Jets. And you can find me at Vitor Paiva. I am Andrew. You can find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. This has been the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll be back real soon. Bye bye. Yes.